Welcome to the Base Church Message Podcast. If you want to learn more about Base and who we are, check us out online at base.church. Our prayer is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and draws you closer to Jesus. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. All right. How's everybody doing this morning? We're doing good? Okay. Okay, it's, it's good to see you. Week two of, uh, of Base Church. Wild stuff, eh? I've been looking forward to these moments for quite a long time now. Uh, Pastor Brian and I have been talking about this for a year and a half. And uh, in some ways, it was a little bit surreal coming in here last week and, and, and finally arriving. Some of you are, are, are thinking the same thing, like, man, it took a while to get here. Some of us are like, it was like a blink of an eye. All of a sudden, you know, for those of us that go to church like once every four weeks, uh, you only came like five times, and then all of a sudden it was a new church. It's crazy. So, you know, if you're saying it's too quick, you should just come a bit more. You know, maybe it'll, it'll feel a little bit longer, like the timeline was what the rest of us experienced. I'm just happy that you're here, but I will always challenge you to make sure that you're here um, more often than not. If we haven't met, my name is Brandon, and uh, I, I don't have to say all the, the, the caveats that I used to say. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Base Church, alongside my wife, Emma. It's nice to meet you. And uh, your location pastors are the real deal. We just got to spend a week with them in, it was, it was, we were suffering for the Lord this past week. We launched Base Search, and on Monday, we had to get on a plane. Oh my gosh, air travel sucks, right? And it's just terrible, and we had to go to a place where, honestly, we weren't sure if God was present or not. Uh, we were in a very, very difficult place to go. It felt like a mission trip. Uh, we flew down to Miami uh, for a few days. You know, the way that I see it is if we're going to spend a bunch of time together as pastors and go to a, a conference, you could go somewhere cold or you could go somewhere warm. And I think there's a reason why we just started re- recently living in the northern hem- hemisphere, large populations. And so we were down in, in Miami. We got to spend a lot of time with Brian and Rebecca and, and Nate and Emily, who are location pastors for our university district location, and Beth and Jared, uh, location pastors for our city location. And we just had a ton of fun. It was a great way to celebrate a launch, but we also learned, we dreamed, we spent a lot of time together. It was a lot of fun. And... Uh, Coming into today, we're going to be talking about relationships. We experienced a lot of great relationship building this past week, but we're going to be talking in this next series all about relationships as defined by Scripture. And who knows that it's important when we look at relationships to not just talk about relationships, but to actually talk about what God thinks about relationships. Because the reality is is that there's no shortage of commentary on what you should be doing with your relationships in the world right now, is there? The problem is, is that it doesn't seem like we're getting any better as a society at them, right? For all of the talk around relationships, for all the talk around love, for all the talk around what our world believes about love, I look out and I go, I just don't know if we're getting any better at it as a whole and as a society. And you've heard certain things like uh, one in every two marriages end in divorce. You've probably heard the unfortunate fact that the number is no different within the church. Now, You've probably heard that. Has anybody heard that? Okay. I do want to tell you that, that that's a little bit misleading. Uh, one thing that we need to understand is that, yes, if you just pulled all people within North America that say, I'm a Christian, you get similar results. 
But that's, there's a difference between those that take on the label of Christianity and those that are cultural Christians and those that actually um, uh, submit themselves to God. If you look at the statistics between those that just call themselves Christians in these polls, oh yeah, I guess my grandparents are Christian, I'd be a Christian. And you look at those and you look at couples that, ha- uh, that read the Bible together and pray together, the numbers are wildly different. wildly different. And I think what it does for us is it gives us a little bit of hope that, you know what, maybe if we listen to what God has to say about relationships, just maybe, we might be able to have a leg up in this wild journey in friendship, in marriage, in dating, in relationships at work, and all the rest. And so the way that this series has been designed is we're going to take a look at what we're probably most familiar talking about within the church, uh, into what we are, and, and then we'll, we'll scale to uh, what we're, we're least familiar talking about as a church, okay? So we're going to start with relationship with God. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about friendship. And uh, who knows that it's good to talk about friendship within the church. Every time we do a relationship series, it's always about love and sex and romance and all that kind of stuff, and maybe not the sex part, right? Even as I'm saying that, some of us are like, what week is that? I'll, I think I'll miss that week, you know? <laughs> Oh, man, I could say a few things about sex, but maybe we need to warm up to uh, me before we we do that. Um, We're going to talk about romance, but then we are going to talk about sexuality. And we're not just going to talk about Christian sexuality. We're going to talk about the crossroads between what our world believes about sexuality and what um, what we see within Scripture and what it says about sexuality. I've gotten so serious about my faith this year that I picked up an ESV Bible. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> For those of you unfamiliar with Scripture, there's a bunch of different translations. They all lead mostly to the same thing. Um, for everybody who has any Reformed friends, you can just tell them, my pastor has an ESV Bible, they'll leave you alone. <laughs> but uh, I picked it up because um, I've had the same Bible until uh, last week with the launch. I'm like, it's time for a new Bible. And it's time for me to get serious about my faith. No more NIV. With that said... <laughs> With that said, I'm kidding. I'll probably mostly preach out of the NIV. If you're wondering why my Bible's here, but I'm just reading off my iPad, it's because I can't understand the ESV. And so we're going to preach out of the NIV today. (laughs) I figure we should just take every silly argument that's happening in the church right now and just bring light to the ridiculousness of it all and realize that the most important Bible is the one you read and the one that you try to apply to your life, okay? Okay. So I love the NIV, love the ESV, I love the message, I love the message. Not a great one to study from, but a great one to hear the heart of God for your life. I'm thankful for Eugene Peterson and the way in which he made it um, practical for our lives. Okay, so today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about our relationship with God. Now don't tune out just yet, because you're going to be like, well, aren't we, don't we talk about this every week? Yes, but how can we look at our relationship with God in a way that it informs our relationships with one another? That's an important task. The important task is to say, how is God trying to relate to me? And in what ways can that actually uh, help me relate to those around me? Because if we're just talking about how we can upgrade our relationships with one another, we're going to go to a bunch of different avenues to learn about that that have nothing to do with God's original design for relationships. One of the healthiest things that I did 40 days leading up to the launch of this church is I tried to remove remove every uh, thing, every single thing that that provided me pleasure in my life. 
everything. So when it came to music, I removed non-Christian music. Not that the divide is that clear, but it was just about, I just listened to worship music. Uh, when it came to social media, I just removed it from my life. I mean, too much information, but I tried to remove intimacy, which was not a great choice. Uh, my, my, my other half wasn't in agreement with that one, so I didn't last 40 days, okay? Too much information. But what I wanted to do leading up to this launch was remove all of the things that I trust in my daily life to get me up and, 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 and move on from, from the difficulties of life, and I wanted to lean into God. But I will tell you one of the healthiest things that I did was just listen to mu- uh, worship music for 40 days. Why? Because do you realize that almost every song on the radio has to do with love and romance? And every time we are listening to that, it is informing something in my life into our lives about what we should believe about love, romance, sexuality, and all the rest. And as I listen to these things, it's interesting, it begins to infiltrate some of our habits and the ways in which we perceive the world in front of us. Worship music, on the other hand, does the exact same thing, but it informs us not just about how we live, but what we actually believe about God. This is why worship music is actually so important. It's why the team takes so much time to analyze lyrics because when we're worshiping God, yes, we're ascribing to him our uh, uh, ascribing to him his worth, but the other thing we're doing is we're actually singing out our theology. Some of us we are more formed by the worship songs that we're singing than God's word. And, and listen, hopefully a lot of the worship songs we're singing, all of them, are based on God's word. But this is why it's important to be careful about the things that you're, you're, you're taking in inside of you. And I'm not saying don't listen to non-Christian music. I mean, one of my favorite artists right now is Zach Bryan. Anybody like Zach Bryan? Anybody not know who Zach Bryan is? That's unfortunate. You can go look him up later. Don't look him up later, actually. He doesn't have too many songs with, with not uh, bad words in it, but I left my office with Zach Bryan playing on the radio, or on, my, on the radio, on my speaker the other day, and Cheryl, everyone knows Cheryl, Cheryl Van Der Ahe. Uh, she, yeah, she works directly outside. There she is. She works directly outside my office, and I leave the door open, I left, I went to talk to somebody, and I came back, and one of the most filthiest songs came on. I just thought, like, Cheryl's just getting to know me right now, and I'm like, Cheryl, I'm so sorry. And she was so kind and gracious. She says, I don't hear most of what comes out of your office, but all I heard was, I don't hear most of it, but I heard that. (laughs) Spotify. Oh, man, Spotify. Have you ever experienced a lopsided relationship? A lopsided relationship. You know, I've experienced a lot of lopsided relationships in my life. Um, one of the lopsided relationships I experienced in my life is with an individual that share, shows more uh, of the grace of God in their life than I do. Um, it's a lopsided relationship that, um, that just seems to have more joy in their salvation than I do. A relationship that when I talk to them, it seems like they've been praying to God more. Uh, somebody who... Um, uh, when, I, when I talk to them, my faith is increased for what God could do in our church. And every time I interact, I'm like, man, this person should be leading this church because they are just so in tune with God's, with God's voice, with God's presence and all the rest. And, and this individual is somebody who works here at the church, and uh, their name is Brad Blenkarn. Brad, Brad Blenkarn is part of the facilities staff here. And every single time I talk to him, I leave a better person, a lopsided relationship. I live... Uh, in my home, in a lopsided relationship. You know, there's somebody in our family that, that, that does more, loves better, uh, and it's not me. 
I live with, with a lopsided relationship. Emma is so much better in so many areas than I am. Growing up, I had a friend, and uh, for a little while, the relationship felt really kind of even, like we were both doing similar things. But as we grew up, we, I began to recognize some of the distance that, that remained between us and maturity and, and our walk with God and all the rest. I remember one time, uh, you know, it was after high school, and we had both taken a gap year to try to figure out what our lives were going to look like. And during that period of time, I set it as my mission to find as many uh, jobs as possible that I could in order to pay off this expensive bill that was coming my way called university. And so I found a bunch of different jobs. The first job I found was working for General Electric uh, with my dad. And I worked there Monday to Friday. I was an intern. I was getting paid at the time $17 an hour. I thought I had, I had made it. I thought that I was the richest person in the world. I remember saving up all this money like, I, man, I am rolling in it. Maybe I won't go to university. This is so much better than anything I've ever experienced. And then you get handed a $20,000 a year bill for university. You realize that's not a lot. And, you know, you get put it. But not only did I work at General Electric, during this time, I took on a few other jobs. One of my jobs was cut, cutting the ditches uh, in my neighborhood. So we lived in the country. And a lot of the elderly people in my neighborhood couldn't cut them, themselves. So I would go and cut their, their, the ditch for uh, once a week for $10. And I would just go along the row of houses and just begin to cut these ditches. On, on Tuesdays, I would go and I would, um, I would umpire baseball. My dad had started a baseball league. And he said, hey, if you'll umpire, I'll pay you for it. I was like, I, I'm in. On Wednesdays, I would go down to the beach in Coburg and I would set up volleyball nets and take them down and, and I was told that I was going to get a set amount I could hire as many people as I wanted to and I just had to be able to pay them out of what I was being given so I just found a bunch of volunteers and I was like you guys come help volunteer that's how I learned church ministry right I'm kidding I paid them but not not a whole lot <laughs> I had a university to pay for I was about to become a pastor I needed to make sure I wasn't in debt and, and in addition to all of that uh, I, I, uh, my, my great uncle passed away during this time, and he was a hoarder. You know those great big bins that transports drop off uh, uh, in order to throw garbage into the bins and whatnot. Um, during this season, we went to his house, and we were cleaning it out, this, this uncle, great uncle of mine who was a hoarder, and we ended up taking away 14 of those bins out of his house. 14 of them. He had a garage, which was an oversized garage and a, and a bungalow, and that's how many... Um, bins that we took away. I got paid, I think, $20 a night uh, for going and helping with that. In the midst of this, my friend was also on a gap year. And he said to me one day, he said, I, uh, I just can't seem to find a job. And I said, well, that's interesting. I, I think your problem's less about finding a job and more about keeping a job. I said, listen, here's what I'll do. I've got a bit of extra time on Thursday and Friday nights, and on the weekends I'm not visiting Emma. Uh, I think I have some extra time. Why don't we start a landscaping business? He said, great idea. And so we put our heads together. We divided our roles. I would be the one that would go and find the jobs. I would do some of the marketing. And when I was around, I would help with the actual work. But otherwise, my friend would go and actually do the work. And so I printed up all these little posters. I dropped them off on mailboxes all around uh, my neighborhood. And, and I'm like, hey, I, my, my dad's asking me, he's like, hey, you already have enough jobs. Should you be doing this? I'm like, well, I need to get a job for my friend. And so I did all this different stuff and started quoting jobs and getting calls coming in and putting them over to my friend. And I'm just, I'm struggling not to say his name right now because I want to. Um, and all of this happens. And about a month into this, I'm a little confused because there's no money coming in. I approach my friend and I say, hey, what's going on with, with the business? And he said, well, well, things are going really well. Um, I'm, I'm getting lots of calls. And I said, great. Are you doing any of them? He's like, ah, no, I just figure we'll start next month. 
I remember thinking with all of the jobs that I had going on, what are you talking about? I was more angry in that moment than I've been. I mean, I'm working five different jobs, four and then one for my uncle. I'm working and I'm trying to find you a job. Why can't you give something back to me? Why, why can't you just put a little bit for, I'm actually, I've created a business so that you can have a job, a lopsided relationship. I found myself in my life in so many different lopsided relationships that sometimes it can be, um, I can be hesitant in giving myself over to a relationship because I almost sense that there's going to be a bit of dif- disappointment in what I receive from the other person. And I hope you can see where this is all going, Right? It's because the original lopsider relationship that, that has been experienced in this world was a relationship between God and man. For all the disappointments that I've gone through in relationship, I sometimes think about the relationship that God has had with his creation and how lopsided that relationship has always been. It's never been fair. It's never been equal. I don't even know if we can even bridge the topic and even include the word equal in the same sentence in a relationship with God. And the reason for this is because relationship was his idea. He gave us a pattern to follow, and within how long? We broke the relationship. We broke the covenant. We broke what was going on. And so what I want to talk about this morning is a few different points, and I'm going to try to fly through them, uh, that arise out of Genesis chapters 1 through chapter 3. I just want to talk really briefly about um, some of the things that we learn from our relationship with God, how we can apply them to our relationships, and how this might be able to set us up for the rest of our conversations this month. So um, if you take notes, uh, get ready to, to take notes. If you don't take notes, I think that that's a, that's a wise thing to do. Uh, you know, I, I recognize in regular life when people are taking notes uh, it's because they, they want to remember something that they can bring into their lives. They don't want to forget it. They want to be able to reference back. And I see people do this in their jobs. I see my grandparents do this when they're, at, they're like, hey, how do you turn on the computer? I'm like, well, you just pray. They're like, stop. I'm like, for what? Well, just let me write this down. I'm like, no, 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 it's easy. You just have to press this button. They're like, no, 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 no. Say that slower. You know, I'm like, I'm just teaching you how to turn on the laptop here, nanny. Like, like you just press this button. Yeah, but with what hand? You know, <laughs> because we write down things that we don't want to forget that we don't want to reference back to. In addition to that, note takers get into heaven faster. It's like a genie pass, right? You get up to the gates of heaven. St. Peter's there. He's like, you got your genie pass? You're like, I don't know. What's a genie pass? Well, it's the notes that you took while you were listening to Pastor Brandon at Base Church. Obviously, that's never going to happen. But let's, let's run through this. This is the first thought that that I have to share out of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is what verse 26 says. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Okay, here's the first thought. God brought humans into his love. Very important to understand, right? God brought humans into his love. Another way to say this is love was not our idea. The idea of love was not originally our idea. This is important to understand because within scripture, within our Bible, it is made evidently clear that God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. When Jesus, or sorry, when God is saying, Uh, Let us make mankind 
in our image. He's speaking of the Trinity that has always existed, the Spirit of God that has always hovered over this earth, and his Son who is there alongside him in word, proclaiming and and building and creating under the wisdom uh, of God. God has always been three persons. This is really important, okay? I just want to bring us through the the contrast, even really quickly, a contrast between uh, uh, our faith uh, as defined as Christianity and even the faith of Islam, okay? This is important to understand is that within the Christian worldview, we believe that God is one, but he is also three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because already in Genesis chapter one, we hear him saying, let us make mankind in our own image. It's not talking with the angels, let's make them in our image. We're so different from angels. He's speaking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is really interesting because uh, Islam, it differs in this in saying, uh, in fact, the Quran makes, makes it evidently clear that God is, is, is one. He is not three persons. This, this is made evidently clear all throughout the Quran. Now, the reason I'm not trying to pick a fight with Muslims right now, um, that, that's, that's the last fight that I want to pick here um, this morning. But it is, it is interesting. Because in order for God to be love, right, and, to, and, 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 and for that to, to be a, a fact that exists outside of God's need for us as humans, God needs to be more than, than one. Okay, let me explain this. Within the Christian worldview, when we say that God is love, it means that he is love without a need for his creation. Because God has always existed in love. There's always been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is this eternal perspective of love that God has always dwelt within that we were brought into. Very different than the statement that God is not three persons, that God is only one, and then the statement, therefore, the, uh, following afterwards, which is God is love. What we, what we understand in that is that in order for God to be love, is love between one person? is between multiple people. In order for God to be love in that equation, God needs his creation. Does this make sense? Okay, so within the Christian worldview, God is love makes sense because God has always existed in a state of love amongst the Trinity. Within other faith views where it says God is love, but he is only one, what, what, what that actually means is God is reliant upon his creation in order to experience and give love. This is really important. I'm not, not actually speaking down upon other faiths. I am trying to prop up the beauty of Christianity in this moment, is that God has always been love. He hasn't needed you, and yet that's the environment that God wanted to bring you into. When he says, let us create mankind in our own image, what he's saying is, let's bring mankind into this thing that we have always experienced. We've always experienced love. We don't need creation, but why don't we create people in our own image that could experience what we have going on? That's the beauty of our God. That's the beauty of when God created you and I, he's going, listen, I just want you to experience a little bit of what's been at the center of the universe for all of creation. Why don't you come experience that with us? And that's why it's important to understand that God is the one who defines love. And that love was not our idea. Now some of us are like, understood this. Pastor Brian's been speaking on this for a long, long time now. You're not bringing anything new. I'm not actually trying to bring anything new. (laughs) In fact, the best type of preaching isn't bringing stuff that's new, but it's bringing stuff that we already know and beginning to apply it to our lives in a different way. 
See, our world right now is trying to redefine love. Our world right now is in the midst of trying to define love based on what it wants out of love, not what God has designed for us to get out of love. Just consider the phrase, love is love for a moment. That phrase in and of itself doesn't make sense. Right, if I asked you to define what this stage is, if you just came up to me and said, hey, what is this stage? And you said, well, the stage is a stage. I go, well, that's not how we define things. We need to use things without the, uh, external to the actual word to describe what that very thing is. And so you might say, well, stage is a platform that is propped up above, uh, above a, a solid ground that, that you can walk on. I mean, there's probably a better definition than that. But you see that we're actually defining stage by something outside of itself. We don't define things by the very thing that creates confusion. The statement, love is love, which I'm not taking on today, we'll take that on in a few weeks from now, Uh, that very statement breeds confusion into the relational fabric of humanity. Because what humans are looking for is not something to bring confusion to the, the, the place that they find themselves, but actually to bring clarity on how we can actually experience love with one another. The good news about our faith is that God brought humans into his love. And so the first request, or the the first um, step that we must take as followers of God is not to just ask blankly, what is love? But it's actually to ask God, God, what is the love that you meant to bring us into? Okay, so God brought humans into his love. Secondly, God brings humans into his rest, which is another way of saying that God is the one who always provides. This is one of the interesting things uh, that we find within Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. It says, after God created humans in Verse two, it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The healthiest relationships in our lives will always provide something and not just require something from us. God provides or, or, or resembles that or provides that within chapter two of the Bible. Now, a lot of us, we understand Sabbath from the perspective of you got to work six days and you rest for one. Modern Christians believe Sabbath to be working for one day and resting for six. <laughs> I love that right now, the, the, the best-selling literature, uh, Christian literature for people in their 20s is all um, literature on Sabbath and rest. This, I'm not just saying this off like by myself, like this is, this is actually the case. The best-selling literature for people in their 20s, Christians in their 20s right now, is on Sabbath and rest. And I find it kind of funny because a lot of people in their 20s, even myself, like we, we haven't even started working yet and we're already talking about rest. It's like this weird equation, right? But the idea that we're supposed to work for six days and rest for one is actually also not what God provided for his original creation. Let's take a look at what God, the order in which God actually created things, right? God created for five days. On the sixth day, he creates all the livestock, birds of the air, all the rest, and he creates humans. So humans pop up on the first day of existing, and they're ready to, ready to get to work. They go to God. Okay, God, excited to be here. Excited that you brought us into your love. Excited to be in relationship with you. What are we going to do tomorrow? And God goes, well, we're going to rest, <laughs> 
You can just imagine Adam and Eve like, no, 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 we're ready to like, let's pick up a shovel, let's do something. We gotta, we gotta build some skyscrapers here in the Garden of Eden, let's get to work. Like, there's work to be done here on planet Earth. And go, God goes, I know I just created you, but, but for the first day we're just gonna rest. Now this is fascinating because humans did nothing to deserve the rest that they were brought into. The first day of human existence was experiencing rest because of what God had done. Not because of what humans have done, but because what God has done. This is a relationship that God wants to have with his creation, is bringing us into his rest so we can do the work of God. And so it's not actually work six days, take one day off. It's rest in God so you have the strength and the sustenance to do all that God is calling you to. God is a provider even on day one of our existence. He's always been that way. And the best relationships are those that somebody is looking to give them of themselves before they're looking to receive. And we see in God that he demonstrates this for us in the fact that he does all the work and then brings us into the world. Sometimes I think, man, I, would, I wish I was there when it, the, the earth was formless and there was void in the deep and there was no lights. Like, I would have loved to have watched all of that happen. I would have, would have loved to be in that environment while all of a sudden God turns on the light bulb in the universe and you go, what the, like how did you do that? And yet in the midst of all that, God goes, no, 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 no. I'm gonna create, and then you're gonna, be dis- you're gonna begin to discover for the rest of your life all the things that I did before I created you. And the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna rest in how, how incredible I am. That's the very first thing we're gonna do. Then we're gonna get to work. See, God brings us into his rest. My dad isn't, uh, avid coffee drinker, and I shouldn't just say avid coffee drinker. He's, a, he's an avid McDonald's cof, co- coffee drinker. We got any of those in the room? McDonald's, it's like a cult. People that drink McDonald's coffee, it's like a cult. Do we still have the, the stickers on the, you collect your points with the stickers? Yeah? yeah? This is like, this is a wild thing to me. McDonald's coffee cups come with, with a prepackaged rewards program. It's like McDonald's is, is that capitalistic that even when you're buying something, they're already setting you up for your next drink, right? So they got a little sticker on there and you pull off your little rewards card. If you get enough stickers, you put them on there, all of a sudden you get a free drink. We as humans love that kind of stuff. Like, oh, I got another sticker. <laughs> you know when you submit finally at Starbucks? Anybody like Starbucks in the room? You know when you finally have enough star points it's how feeble we are as humans. They gotta give us not just points, but star points. It's a reckoning back to kindergarten when you did a good job, you can get a star on your phone. We got a whole bunch of humans like, oh, I got enough stars to get a drink. Oh my goodness, it's so exciting. We bring it in, you get that drink. You just feel like, man, I won the lottery. No, 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 Starbucks won the lottery because you keep coming back to get your free drinks by paying for seven free, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, I probably shouldn't be this passionate about this, but I am. My dad's an avid McDonald's uh, uh, coffee drinker. And so one of the things that he would often do, and this was pre-pandemic, things have changed for everybody. This has changed for him too. So he'd walk into a room with a bunch of coffees. He, wouldn't even, he would just assume everybody wants coffee in the room. If he came into the room right now, he'd bring us 600 coffees. You know the second thing you would do? Is he would walk around and grab the sticker off of every single cup. <laughs> and he'd put it on. This is how much a part of the system my dad is. He will have bought 600 coffees, but he goes home with 75, and he's like, I've won the lottery. I remember one time my dad came to take my sticker. 
I was holding my coffee cup, and I knew he was going to do it. He started around the room. He's taking all these stickers, putting it on his little, little ripped-off card. He comes up to me, and, and I kind of hit it like, like, oh, you already took my sticker, Dad. He goes, Brandon, you got a sticker on that cup? I'm like, uh, I don't think so. I said, well, I didn't remember taking it from yours. I was like, well, me. And he sees, he's, oh, there it is. Can I have that? And in that moment, I don't know what it was, but there's this little bit of like, that's my sticker. You're not, ta- you're not taking my sticker. Like there's this, this brief, it was brief. If you met my dad, he can be a scary dude. It was like a millisecond, but I could tell my dad felt like it was an eternity. Are you going to give me my sticker, son? And finally, I just, it's yours, dad. It's interesting to me because our relationship with our heavenly father is a little bit like that across a variety of things in our lives. God says, hey, I've given you seven days to live. Just give one back to me. We go, no, 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 I need that day. You know, how asinine would it be for me? My dad comes around and goes, no, I'm going to keep this sticker. He's going, I provided the coffee for you that the sticker's on. All I'm asking for is the sticker. <laughs> you can have the coffee, but I want, I want what's mine back. <laughs> See, God's a provider, but he also expects his return. See, the relationship with God is not just this thing that comes with no cost to us. It's, it's that it comes mostly at a cost to God, but it demands our response. And this comes when it comes to a Sabbath and it comes to rest. It's like God's like, hey, have six days, but take a day off. Why? So you can prove to the rest of the nations that God can do in six days what they can't do in seven without him. It's this fascinating equation. When it comes to our giving, The room always gets way quieter the moment you talk about finances. Brian is up here talking about giving. He's like, if you haven't checked your automatic giving, you could just hear a pin drop. I mean, actually, a lot of us are in the habit of giving here. It's uh, the other locations that we're a little bit worried about. And that's a complete lie because <laughs> that's a complete lie. I do want to make it clear because somebody's going to be like, oh, that's what this is about. That's what the new church is about is the young church needs the older church's money. It's not the case. We actually came in with equal uh, uh, giving throughout the year. So they're they're actually doing really good. There's a few of them I would like to see. uh. (laughs) But listen, like like we go, go, wait, God wants 10% back? And we get in these arguments, there's no 10% in the New Testament. You're right, there isn't. There's just an example of people giving everything they owned. So I don't care what you want to choose. You can pick between 20 or 10 and 100. It's up to you. Aren't you thankful for churches that only preach tithe? It's like giving their church a discount. It's like, let's talk about tithe here. And everyone's like, that's not in the New Testament. It's like, that's a discount church. They're like, all you have to give is 10%. But man, that's like, that's like that equation, right? God's, God's like, I'm not asking for the coffee. I just want the sticker. Our God is a provider, but there's also a give and take within relationships. When we look at our Heavenly Father, he's setting an example for us. Is that, yes, relationships ought to have this giving nature in it, but, but it's not about just receiving. It's about returning that back which we have in us to give back. So God, already in Genesis chapter 2, shows us that he is a provider. How am I going to get... How am I gonna, going to get through all of this. I'm not. That's, I didn't tell you how many points I have because if I told you that, you'd be nervous that we're going to be here till 3 p.m. 
And I've got good news for everybody. We're only going to be here till 2. I've been making apologies for going late or long, and I just have people every week like, no, don't apologize, go longer. And so today's the day I'll go longer. <laughs> and we'll see if those, those encouragements turn a little bit, you know. <laughs> hey, Ben, just for the, the sake of it, in five minutes you should probably come up on the stage, okay? Okay, this is another thing we need to learn about God. God makes it easy to choose him. God makes it easy to choose him. I often hear about God when I'm trying to explain God to friends that don't know him, is they often look at his, him as this cosmic villain that set humans up to be in bondage to, in bondage to him. And, and it usually comes back to this question, why did God even allow for the fall to happen? Why would, why would a good God even allow for the possibility of evil to enter into the world? And where we get this from, of course, is Genesis chapter uh, 2, verses 8 uh, through 17. I'm going to read a few of those verses right now. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God, skipping down to verse 15, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Here's a, here's a picture that we're given. It's similar to the coffee cup. God goes, have it all. I just don't want you to have this one thing. It's interesting because in the beginning, when God puts the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life side by side in the midst of all of the other vegetation that as humans we could eat from, God is demonstrating his love for us in that he allows us to continually choose him and not choose the thing that he's placed in there that, that, that he doesn't want us to have. You can imagine a, a, a utopia that was created where we removed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we can imagine that and allow that, 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 uh, that idea or that situation, that world to play out. And we begin to realize really quickly that that's not a place where love exists. That's a place where we are very robotic and we have no choice of whether or not to love God back. See, if there was never an option other than to love God, that's not love. See, on one hand, our world right now wants love. On the other hand, we want it defined in the way that we want it. We, we, we want love, but, but we also don't want God to give us the choice to love him. <laughs> you know, we, we, we want love, but, but sometimes what people are saying when we look at this, we wonder, why, why would God allow this in the garden? He didn't allow for it. God allowed for the possibility of love for everlasting, and yet what we chose as humans to choose the one thing that God prohibited us from, from, from choosing. So God, in his, in his infinite wisdom and in his infinite love, placed before us an option to continually choose him. By placing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, God, God wasn't setting us, us up for some uh, cata, cat, cataclysmic event that, that we wouldn't ever be able to recover from. No, God was setting it up that every day we woke up, we would be able to choose love and choose God. And the thing that we have to realize about God is that God has always made it easy to choose him. He's always made it easy to choose him. 
For a lot of us that, that get caught up in, in temptation and the things of the world and sin that, that so easily entangles and, 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 and gets us into ruts and all the rest, sometimes we can have this perception that, God, it's so hard to follow you. God, I have a hard time uh, to, 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 in getting out of these habits and these things that I formed. But the thing that we need to know about our God is that God always makes it easy to choose him. We simply have to ask. God, can I have your strength to live through this day? God, can I have your strength to, to be removed from this temptation? God, can I have your strength to be able to follow you habitually? Can I have your strength? God has always made it easy to choose him. And that's because God wants relationship with us. He wants relationship with us. And you notice that I, I say that us in the plural because he wants relationship not just with you, he wants relationship with us. One of the most remarkable things as we look further through Genesis chapter 2 is that God looks down on man and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him, suitable for him. It says that Adam names all of the animals in the garden, then it goes on to say, but for Adam... No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had, that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. You see, God has always wanted relationship with us. And it's interesting because for some of us, we get so spiritual in our walks with God that we assume that all we need is a relationship with God. If it was just me and just God, and that was the, the world that I existed within, and there wasn't, that's the perfect utopia for me to exist. And yet what we read is in that very situation, God says, it is not good. It's the first time that God has uttered those words within his creation. Day after day, while he's creating the earth, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. He gets to the sixth day when he creates humans, he says, it is very good. These are the, this is the first time we hear God saying, it is not good. And this is before sin came into the world. It is the utopia that a lot of us who want to be spiritually strong dream of. A situation, a place, a context where it is just God and us and no temptation and, and this is the world we often picture, just me and God. And yet God looks down on man and he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And all the women in the place said, amen. And all the women in the place said, because women were created into an environment where men were already there. It is not good for women to be alone. And all the men said, See, men know, men know what life would be like with that woman. That's why you got a, a much better response there. Uh, recently, I, I heard a study on, on widows and widowers, and um, women just fare much better after their spouse passes than men do. And I think that's for obvious reasons. I don't need to get into that. God looks down and says, it is not good for the man to be alone. God has always wanted relationship with us. And when we go into a relationship series, it can be, two things can happen. This was the debate when we were creating this relationship series, is we wanted to start with, 
our relationship with God. And there's this debate because we're like, well, we're always talking about our relationship with God. And so the temptation for all of us was, well, let's just jump into love and romance and that other word that we're uncomfortable with within the church. And let's just jump into that because that's what people really want to hear about. And yet the problem is, is that we can't have healthy relationships with one another if we don't understand our relationship with God. But the opposite is also true. We can't understand our relationship with God without one another. You see, God is coming back. Jesus is coming back for a beautiful bride. And that bride is comprised of the church, not the individual, right? He's coming back for his church. And for a lot of us in the year 2024, we have bought into the individualistic notion that I can just have a relationship with God myself that is apart from everybody else around me. And the problem is, is that's just not possible. Right? We see Jesus engaging within the, the corporate nature of the church and big crowds. We see him in a small group, as Pastor Nathan was talking about earlier. We also see him going alone, along, uh, alone with the Father. And that's what must be evident in our lives today. In fact, that should inform the way in which most of us do our relationships with one another. Right? Like it's important to just have our time, just the two of us, in our relationships. But if that's where you live most of your life, you're missing out on what God wants to bring into your life through the variety of the people around you and the gifts that God has created. And one of the saddest things that often happens is couples are around one another up until the point they get married and all of a sudden they get more and more insular and more and more removed from the people that God meant for that couple to do life with. And all of a sudden you look back and you go, where did so-and-so go? You're like, I don't know, they got married. (laughs) They thought that's all they needed. (laughs) No, we need one another. God wanted relationship with humans, but he wanted relationships, uh, humans to have relationships with one another so they could be in relationship with him. We need one another, church. We can't just come and consume on a Sunday expecting that somehow if I have an encounter with God, everything in my world is gonna be okay. No, you need to have an encounter with God with your spouse. You need to have an encounter with God with your children. You need to have an encounter with God with your spouse and the community that God has placed you around because we cannot do life alone. We need one another. Okay, I'm just gonna jump down to my last point. I had seven others. I'm just gonna be honest, that was a lie. I had two others. I had seven points is what I meant to say. The last thing I want to touch on just for this morning is that God is merciful and gracious. God is merciful and gracious. Okay, this is, I should have spent more time on this one, and we will. We're we're about to go back into worship. Um, This is the most important thing we got to understand. And, and for a lot of us, we might, might just be tuning out at this point. Like, we've heard the word grace, we've heard the word mercy, and, and that's all we need. And yet we're about to go into a relationship series where if we don't understand this to its depth, we won't be able to be in relationship with one another to the depth that we actually want. God is gracious, and he is merciful. The first three chapters of the Bible are, are beautiful and heart-wrenching all at the same time. You know, I wish that, honestly, when I'm gonna have this conversation with God if he'll allow me to, I wish that I had a bit more of a peek into what Adam and Eve were doing in the garden before they chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't you? 
Now Jeff's laughing because, of course, we know some of what they were doing. It says they knew one another. Jeff knows his Bible, and he knows what knew meant. It means that three-letter word that I'm feeling I can't say right now. We've got to lead ourselves into that. Of course, that was happening. But I wonder, like, what, what were they doing? When it says that they were walking with God, like, what were those conversations like? What, what, what kind of work were they doing beyond just taking care of the, like what kind of structures were they building in the garden already? And, uh, mimicking their creator. Hey God, you created the world. Look, I just I built a tree house. God's walking in the garden. He's like, so, so good. <laughs> we should have made them more in our image. Like they're, they could be doing so much. That could be so, so much better. <laughs> We'll give them time. We'll give them time. They're going to have a lot of time here to do, work this out. I, I just want, I sometimes wish I just had more dialogue in the, in the Garden of Eden times. I just want to know what that was like. The same way I want more dialogue of what, what heaven's going to be like. Because these are the, the two places my soul yearns for. And yet what we get is very, this very quick narrative of where humans in this perfect relationship with God quickly choose other than God. And they take this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and thus sin enters into the world. There's a couple of things that immediately begin to take place in this passage that are deeply encouraging to me. First up, God wanders into the garden. He says, Adam and Eve, where are you? What a gracious God. It's like playing hide and seek with your kids giggling behind the couch. I'm like, Claire, where are you? <laughs> so hard to find you. <laughs> I don't know where you are. God's playing hide and seek with his kids. He knows where they are, but he's gracious enough to allow them to admit what's been going on. They come out. He says, why are you hiding from me? And Adam goes, well, it's because we don't have clothes. God, of course, understands the answer to this question. They come out wearing these, the, 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 these figs to cover themselves. You just imagine in this moment that God could have just wiped humans out, just, let's start over. And yet what begins to happen in this moment? No, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, that God, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He was the original clothing designer. <laughs> He's like, hey, what you've got on is not going to last you on the journey you now have to go on. Here's, a, here's something better for me to give to you along the journey. God, yes, is delivering a consequence, but even in the midst of delivering a consequence, he's already there with his mercy and his grace saying, listen, you messed up bad, but rather than just eliminating you, I'm going to start to provide for you on this journey you're about to go on. And then he does something else. It just breaks my heart. But he has a conversation, and he's saying, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. And every time as a kid I would read this, I'd go, Man, God, why wouldn't you let us just 
get to the tree of life. Like, why did it have to be so harsh? It says that so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out and he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And, and every time I'd read this as a kid, I'd go, man, like, God, like, why did it have to be that that hard? Why, why did the disconnect have to be that great? Why, why, did you have to, why did you have to cut us off like that? In the midst of all this, we see the graciousness and the mercy of God at, at work. He's saying, listen, with men and, and women with sin in their lives, we're not going to allow them to eat from the tree of life and live forever in their sin. Let's block that so that later on down the road, I can put in my place my plan of redemption so that the next time they eat from the tree of life, they can live not in their sin forever, but live in my mercy and my grace forever. You see, the original tree of life was in the garden, but the next tree of life that came was Jesus hanging on a tree that he created for his creation, that whoever, whoever would take from that tree of life wouldn't live in their sin forever, but would actually live in the mercy and the grace of God forever. You consider that God created those thorn bushes in the garden and on the earth that they took and they pressed into the king of kings' head before he died. The, the, the king of the world, the, the, the creator of the world, created the very tree that they cut up to put him on as he, as he died and he bled for his creation. Our God has always been a God of grace and mercy. And unless we understand that, we will never understand the kind of relationship that God not only wants to have with us, but the relationship that he wants us to have with everyone around us. Grace. There's a little bug here on the platform. We'll let him live. There's, some, there's something wrong about killing a creature that God created when you're talking about grace and mercy. <laughs> I thought about it. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And God offers both to us as we have relationship with him. And he offers it to, both, to, to all of us so that we can model that in the relationships that we find ourselves in. Can we stand up in this place? go back into worship and um, I've grown up in the church um, my whole life I didn't always have a strong relationship with God that I do today in fact I had some really great moments with God between the ages of five and seven and then it felt like my walk with him my relationship with him was on pause a little bit until I re-encountered him as a living God when I was about 15. And I've always kind of struggled just preaching the basics of faith because it's always kind of felt like when you start to get into that as a preacher or as a teacher, most of the eyes in front of you just begin to glaze over. And you want to talk about Balaam 
And the donkey people are like, oh, I'm interested in this. What was going on there? You know? I want to talk about the prophet that married a woman that he knew was going to cheat on him. What the purposes of that within scripture is. People are like, yeah, let's talk about that. But to talk about the self-evident truths of our faith, so many of us, our eyes glaze over and we go, I already know all this stuff. I know that God's a provider. I know that God wants a relationship with us. I know he's merciful and gracious. And yet we have to keep talking about this stuff because when we look out on how we actually behave as Christians, it's quite clear that what we think we know and the way in which that knowledge has actually seeped into our actions, there's quite a disparity. Because when we talk about God as provider, but then we go home and all throughout the week, we're anxious about the things that God's given us being taken away. It's quite clear that we don't understand his provision at the level we should. Or when we talk about the fact that God wants relationship with us, but when we miss our Bible reading plan for eight days and then we feel like we can't come to God and just say sorry and pick up where we left off, but we're ashamed of that and so we miss another month, it's quite clear that we don't actually believe God wants relationship with us. And when we talk about God as merciful and gracious, we go, well, I already know about mercy, not getting what we deserve. And yet we continue to live like mercy and grace is cheap when it was costly. You know, my desire for us as base Church is that we wouldn't just hear the self-evident truths of God, but that we would get them into our hearts and into our minds that they might actually come out to the world around us as not just truths that we know, but as truths that we are living out from. This world is never going to be impressed by our knowledge. This world is full of knowledge. But the world looks at churches and when all of a sudden they're living out of the knowledge that they have, all of a sudden that's a community that they want to be a part of. When we're talking about relationships and we start with the knowledge of God, the reason we're doing that is because we want people to be attracted to base church, not because of how we, 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 we have fun with one another or, or how we design our building or how we, we do our, our songs. Or, no, we want people to be attracted to base church based on the evident, self-evident of truths of God being enacted through our community. Right, like we, we, want, we want similar to the Acts type church where people are looking and they're going, that's different than what I'm experiencing. They're, they're selling everything and giving it to those who have need. Like, like I want to be a part of that. Wait, 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 they love each other in a way. They, they, they actually accept, they value women. Wait, wait, they, have a, they placed a value on kids and not just the paterfamilia. Like, oh my, like, like I want to be a part of that. And so, so, Hear me out. Hear me out. I mean this out of all kindness in my soul. church ought, ought, ought to be about discipleship and it also ought to be about evangelism and often when I, when I see evangelism and sharing the word of God and, and sharing through the way we live our lives not active in the ways it should be in the church it becomes evidently clear that we've, we've forgotten our first love we've forgotten the self-evident truths that we've put our hope in and, and they're, not, they're not being they're not being shared with the world that we live in. And, 
And that might, might sound harsh, but, but when, we're not, when we're not actively living our lives looking for people to share that with, we have forgotten the joy of our salvation. Well, we have forgotten the joy of the first things we learned about God. Because if it was living in us and breathing, breathing through us in God's breath, then it, then it would just become easy to share about that. Every time somebody introduces me to something new that I love, it's all I can do. I become an evangelist of that thing. Pickleball. Anybody like pickleball? And my dad bought me a racket for Christmas. <laughs> he brought me a racket for Christmas uh, last year. And my dad, he just loves games. So we all open up our gifts and we all got a pickleball racket. I was like, dad, what is this? And he's like, it's pickleball. I'm like, why do they call it that? He's like, I don't know. And I was like, this is a random gift. I've never played it in my life. He's like, that's okay. I actually planned a tournament for this Thursday and you're in it. That's what my dad does. He just buys stuff so people play games with him. So we play and, and all of a sudden, for a brief period of time, I became an evangelist for pickleball. I'm like, this is good. It's easy on my joints. Provide some company. I became an evangelist for pick. Why? Because I was excited about something. One of the greatest evangelistic tools that we have available to us, church, is the way in which we love one another. It's the way in which we love one another and how that love emanates out from this place. And the only way that we can learn how to do that better is by looking to God and saying, God, how did you originally want us to have relationship with you? And so we're gonna have a moment of honesty. I'm a big uh, repentance guy. Anybody else big repentance people? We got work to do. Oh my God, we've got work to do. Oh my God, we've got work to do. <laughs> I believe that once you accept Jesus, you are fully forgiven of your sins. You don't have to sit there and get all upset about it. But I do believe that, that sometimes we allow our flesh to take over in the midst of our walk with God. And we ought to repent. Here's the thing. It's before God did and walked and, and found his, his mission and his calling here on earth. The thing that he did as he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this is what I would like us to do on the first day of this relationship series because I, I don't know how much further we can get unless we, we get this into our souls is just to repent for the ways in which we've taken God for granted and the ways we haven't allowed his truths to emanate to the people that we share pew with this morning. I, I want us to get really honest with ourselves because it's, it's no use saying that we're, we're gonna be we're gonna be this church that's gonna reach all of Ontario if we can't love our kids right. We can't love our spouse right. We can't love the person that we got into an argument with 10 years ago and now we sit on this side and they sit on that side and we awkwardly pass them in the lobby. We've gotta be people that are repentant and saying, God, we want you to move in a way that we don't see the world living. We, we want relationships that we don't see in the world. We want those truths to deepen inside of us so that we might show the world something different. And so can we close our eyes? I know this is deep for a Sunday morning. And, and if you're wondering, like, is every time you're gonna come, is it gonna be a two-hour service? It might be. I'll give you a schedule. You can stay home on those days. But man, like, what did we show up to church to do today? I, I didn't just show up to, to have normal relationship with you guys. I showed up to have... The, the type of incarnational relationship that happens when we, we really live out of the relationship with God and we live out of that with one another. 
So I know that there's some of us right now that, that I, was, I was speaking, you go, I know this stuff. But as we look at our lives, the reality is, is that the, the difference between what we know and what we're living with the people closest to us couldn't be further. We're, we're harboring bitterness and resentment, contentment. We're withholding forgiveness. We're not being self-sacrificial. We're, we're taking and we're receiving, but we're not giving. And as we just have this moment together where we have an opportunity just to allow the Holy Spirit to analyze our lives and to bring to the surface areas that he wants to continue to sanctify. Could you just begin in your own words, just begin to speak it to God, say, God, I, I need forgiveness in this area. I, I, I want to repent. I want to turn back to you in this area. I know I'm forgiven for my sin. I know my salvation's not at, not at risk here, but I, I, want, I, I want the relationships I have on this side of eternity to get the best of me, not the worst of me. You just, in your own words, begin to even, even name it. If it's with one of your kids, if it's with a parent, if it's with a coworker, if it's with somebody in this room, if it's with somebody in this room, the task is to find them this week and repent. But just begin to speak in your own words. Father, I need your help. I need your strength. If you'd be so bold and so honest as, as to say this morning, hey, Brandon, could you, could you pray for me? I'm really struggling in this area or, or I've got resentment, but it, whatever, whatever it is going on in your life, if that's you could, you, could you just raise a hand right now where you find yourself? Yeah. My hand's up too, okay? Because sometimes we just think that it's just those of us in the church, we have problems with one another or, or it's just us that, that have a problem with the pastor. Here, as pastors, we are sometimes the most hurt people in the church because we take it all. And I'm just refused to make my heart hard. I, I, need, I need to offer and extend forgiveness. If that's you, you can just raise it high. Nobody's looking around. We're just gonna ask that God would redeem our relationships. We're gonna ask right now that he would sanctify our relationships, which just means that we would grow closer into the likeness of Christ with the relationships he's placed around us. Let this be a moment of transformation in your heart and in the lives of the people that love you and that you love. Father, God, we come into this place and we remain honest and open with you because God, we need the transformative work of your Holy Spirit, not only in our lives, but in the lives of and the relationships with the people that we share life with. Father, you know my own temptation, which is the temptation of all of us in this room today, which is just to preach a neat and tidy message and, and go home and for, forget about it. Well, that was nice, or that was this, or that was that. But God, today, we have gathered here together as your people, as your family, to not just have a moment where we, where we move on from it and just make peripheral comments. So God, we've come into this place to have our lives and our community, our church transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
God, there are some of us that have been walking with guilt and shame for the way in which we treat those around us and we walk in here and we feel like fakes and phonies. God, there's those of us in the room right now that we've been harboring bitterness to brothers and sisters in the faith. There have been there are those of us in the room right now that we've been withholding forgiveness. And God, we know that all of these things need to, need to fall in the name of Jesus. God, we know that these are schemes of the enemy to remove us from healthy relationship with one another. God, we recognize that the devil first didn't attack Adam and Eve's marriage. He attacked the relationship between them and you. And so God, right now, we, be, we pray that you begin to repair our relationship with you so that we might have healthy relationships with the people all around us. God, for those of us that are in this moment and, and it feels uncomfortable, but it also feels, feels, feels like it's needed, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would give us the grace and the mercy that we need to continue on. Father, give us the strength that we need. Give us the hope we need. Give us the peace that we need. All of us with hands raised right now, Father, just say, God, we need you. Holy Spirit, fill me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message podcast. If today's message impacted you, be sure to subscribe, share it with a friend, and give it a rating. Life isn't meant to be done alone. We'd love to connect with you at base.church/connect.